Hi, this is Andy, and welcome to our newest episode of the Wilderness Therapy and Residential Treatment Center Journey Podcast. Last episode, I met with Don McCord, the author of a fascinating book called Chasing Carson, which details her family's experience with a son battling addiction. If you haven't yet tuned in, I really recommend you do. Order the book, too. As most of you are likely aware, mental illness and substance use continues to increase at alarming rates. Humans need connection, and the pandemic has made it far harder for teenagers to interact and learn how to navigate this complex world we live in. Younger children haven't even been able to develop some of these skills. I recently spoke with a fourth grade teacher who told me her students have been impacted since their first grade years, being able to develop some of those skills, not just academic skills, but connection skills, people skills. They're so far behind now, and it really, really breaks my heart. As a result, the need for parent coaching, which I do, becomes so important. Parents are in uncharted waters and need to learn how to better find safer harbors. If you have any interest in this area, you know where to check me out at parentsjourneycoaching.net. Just as important are therapeutic programs that help children fortify and or develop some of the skills they desperately need. So wilderness therapy programs are often the tip of the spear or the first logical choice for parents and their children after local efforts have failed. As a result, the need for such programs has become so integral for so many families. One of the programs that has continued to raise the bar in its efforts to meet the needs of families is Trails Carolina. It's located in a beautiful area in Western North Carolina, not far from Asheville. And when I say it's a beautiful area, it's a beautiful area. Today, I'm pleased to speak to Jeremy Whitworth, their co-executive director. He has a background in enjoying and participating in outdoor activities and is a true believer in its therapeutic abilities. He enjoys hiking with his family and CrossFit. So he understands the value of fitness and I'm excited to chat with Jeremy and find out more about him and his unique program. Welcome, Jeremy. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Andy. It's a uh... I appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh, to talk a little bit about what we do. I I grew up in the Southeast and was camping a lot as a kid, mostly because that's what we could afford for vacation. So that was kind of my introduction to wilderness. And then over time, I started caving and climbing and I just found wilderness was just this incredible teacher for me and a very, uh, pretty informal in the way that I came into it. And so as I got older and I found my way into college, I found Brevard College, which had a major in wilderness leadership and experiential education. And so I had this, this great aha moment of like, oh my gosh, I can make a career and a living and a life out of this and, and finding a way to more formally connect people to being out in the woods in the wilderness um, in a way that was so impactful for me. There's a major so, that's that specific, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I, um, I didn't figure it out until my sophomore year of college. I started at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, and then... Um, got a ride after a backpacking trip one Christmas break from somebody who was at Brevard College and majoring in that. And I immediately went like, oh, well, that's where I'm supposed to be. So began the whole transfer process. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel pretty fortunate to have kind of stumbled into that part of it. Okay. And how did it, how did it get you to uh, Trails North Carolina, which I understand has been around for a few years now? Yeah. So Trails opened in 2008 basically right when um, 
the economy completely crashed. So I think our first five kids came in in November of 2008, which like literally was the precipice of the bottom falling out. Wow. I, People yeah. didn't have the money, but they didn't have to worry about paying. Uh, they didn't have to worry about a health crisis. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I mean, I think really if you, people who come to trails and spend time here begin to realize that a level of resilience is kind of into our DNA. And I, I kind of hearken it back to really the first kids that walked in the program and the time in the past 20 years that it was around the country and, and how that's kind of played out in the past, I guess, 15, almost 15 years at this point, 14 years. Life requires a little resilience, doesn't it? It does. And um, unfortunately, a lot of our kids need a lot of help finding that these days. Um, so I, uh, I spent six or seven years in therapeutic adventure-based weight loss programs for 10 to 17 year olds. And those were all over the country from California to Wisconsin to um, even up in Squamish in Canada. And a lot of the kids that I worked with were kids who probably needed to be in a program like Trail, something that was more therapeutically intensive than what we were offering, um, or actually ended up going to programs like Trails as well. And so that kind of led me to connect to Graham Shannon House, who was the founder. Um, and I started talking to her, I think, in 2012, and then eventually came on as initially as a program director in 2013 to join Trails. So there's similarities in terms of resilience with weight loss programs as there are overall mental health, I would guess, right? Yeah, well, I, what we often said when we were doing weight loss and health stuff was that uh, the weight was typically a symptom of something else that was going on. Not to say yes. there weren't genetic things at play, but usually how that student felt about themselves or saw themselves in the world was playing out in a very physical manifestation kind of way. Interesting. I've had yeah. some parent coaching clients where they've had kids who's, who've had health, health eating disorders, bulimia, mm -hmm. anorexia, other yeah. things. And, you know, um, it's been a symptom of them trying to control something in their lives where they can't control other things in their lives. Yeah. Even if it's a negative thing. Right. And so it's interesting to see, to talk to them and trying to figure out, um, or have them get help for their child to understand the root cause of what's creating that as opposed to just trying to treat the symptoms. And I had yeah. try and work with the parents to, you know, emotionally work through that whole process. And so uh, it, it, it's interesting, but there's so much, there's so much overlap with greater mental health with that. And so it's great yeah. that you're able to bring it to a broader audience um, as a result of what you do. Okay. And, and what do you do in your role as co-executive director? So I oversee the day-to-day -day operations and also look at kind of our larger strategic picture. Um, and what I'll tell people sometimes is most of the time that looks like me just supporting our departmental directors in a variety of ways and trying to provide direction for our company. And then some days if the facilities guy is at a different campus, I might change out a doorknob or something as well. So it's a, it's a pretty broad stroke. I'll, I'll work with families a lot if things are coming up or they need extra support. Um, it's mostly, I would say it's mostly zoom out, but really it's a, it's kind of big picture. And then I'll hone in on little pieces that we need to, to make sure that we're providing a quality of care and, um, and just taking care of our kids like they're our own ultimately. And all the many ways that plays out when you're responsible for them 365 days a year. Terrific. 
So um, what impresses me with what you just said is you're not afraid to pick up a broom or do whatever it takes, right? That's, that's true <laughs> yeah. leadership. I appreciate that. Yeah. Great. Um, so can you tell tell us who your avatar is, meaning what types of families or, or, or children do you best serve and, and tell me how big your program is in terms of, you know, number of beds, number of people? Yes. So we, we work with kids 10 to 17 years old, and we're one of the few wilderness programs in the country that works with kids under the age of 13. Um, most of our kids have a common thread of anxiety and depression. And the way that shows up for them is some of them, it's very internal, which may look like eating disorders, self-harm, isolation, school refusal, that kind of stuff. And for a lot of those kids, it's external. So they're oppositional, maybe they're sneaking out or making some pretty bigger unhealthy choices. Uh, I think also woven within that is we do see a fair amount of ASD diagnosis. And, and oftentimes I think we'll have 14, 15, 16 year olds who are just now getting an autism diagnosis, which is a lot for the family to take in. You bet. Um, and then, um, you know, our, our younger population, those kids that are really kind of 10 to 12, 13, uh, it's a little more mixed bag. And a lot of what's happening there is impulsivity and ADHD kind of stuff. Um, learning challenges that are getting kind of uncovered and figuring out how to support them, emotional regulation, those types of things. So for those, um, so it's co-ed, I'm assuming, right? It's not just one sex. It is, it's co-ed, um, but our groups operate on single gender. Okay. And so, um, you know, you've kind of got a girls group that's 14 to 17, that is more of that outward oppositional kid. And then you have a boys group separate from them, but it kind of parallels that profile. Um, and then the same thing is true of like more of an internal kind of piece of a girls group. And then you also have our youth groups, which are also single gender, um, 10 to 13-ish um, boys and girls. And then with, you know, we do quite a bit with identity work and yeah. um, gender work and those types of things. And really we're intentionally kind of non-prescriptive about where those kids go and what groups. Um, it's about their comfort level and where they are in that process and the family's engagement. Um, so it really ends up being a case-by-case -case decision. And we've even had kids who um, come in, born female, identifying as male, wanna go into a female group, and then they get towards the tail end of their stay. And you know, in talking with the parents and talking with our treatment team and talking with that student, we decide, okay, let's try out the last two weeks in a boys group and move them over if that seems clinically appropriate and makes sense for where they are in that process. Okay, that's terrific. And what is it about the 10 to 13 year old group that you guys decided that you have a, would have a focus area there? And what's different about that group other than just their overall maturity compared to the 13 to 17 year olds? Yeah, so our founder, Graham Shannonhouse, started the first youth wilderness program in Idaho back in, I think it was the late 90s. And so that's something when she built trails was very much just something she believed in that demographic and that population needed some support that wasn't available at that time. What's different for them when they come in is just developmentally things that are a little scaled appropriately for them. So there, you know, we do phase work and some other types of clinical work and things that may not be the same appropriateness for a 12 year old as they are for a 16 or a 17 year old. And so that stuff is adjusted to be more age and developmentally appropriate. The way we do expedition for them is a little bit different. Um, and we'll talk about that probably more in a few, but ultimately 
Um, their pack weight, you know, they may get more food drops than a group of 15 to 17 year olds so that that's lighter. Um, the mileage they might hike, the way that we kind of scale them into it is a little bit different based on size, age appropriateness, those types of things. What is a child in that age group experiencing differently? Um, because when, when my daughter went to wilderness, she was 17. You know, we tried, you know, some of the some of the markers or some of the things that she was experiencing that caused her anxiety and depression didn't develop until was it until her more her hormones changed and, and and she was getting more challenged socially and academically and wasn't you know and so it didn't evolve and, until then and then we tried a lot of local things and then it didn't work and ultimately thank god we found uh wilderness but i'm, I'm just trying to dig in a little bit just in, just in terms of the um what do you see you know if, if i'm a parent listening to the show and i'm struggling with my 10 to 13 year old and it's just you know is it just immaturity or you know what are the markers that would say you know this this child may need some additional help here yeah gotcha um again the impulsivity piece is pretty huge we see a lot of that where kids um they're not thinking before anything comes out of their mouth or before they take into an action. Um, a lot of our kids are struggling in the classroom sometimes from learning challenges, sometimes because they don't sit still and that traditional setting is not really effective for them. Um, you know, I think the heart of wilderness still remains being um, stabilization and assessment. And a lot of that assessment piece is there are things that haven't been uncovered yet that, that we need to know about that given kid that's going to help them be successful in whatever comes next. Um, and so I think, you know, a common piece of our 10 to 13 year olds, their ability to identify their emotions, which, and this is often the case, honestly, with a lot of our adolescent, adolescents, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't have the vocabulary or the awareness to go, I feel this way, and this is how I can express that without it looking like a tantrum or an attempt to walk off or some version of- I'm you know, feeling this. anxious right now. Yeah, yeah, and just going, that's what this feels like, and these are the skills that I have to do it, to manage that in a different way than um, okay. playing that out, so to speak. Okay, so parents, I guess if you have a, any, any child struggling 10 to 17, I'm sure Jeremy and his team would be willing to answer any questions you have, but uh, certainly the 10 to 13 is, is unique. Um, how large is your program? How many, how many uh, children can you have at a time? Yeah, so we're licensed up to 108 kids, and we don't wow, typically have 108 kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we don't typically have that many kids at a time. You know, we, I think probably like a lot of programs are, are bigger in the summer and a little bit smaller in the winter, but it's not uncommon for us to be, you know, 60 to 80 kids at any point in time, give or take a little bit. Excellent. Okay. And um, so the heart of our discussion, I think, um, is really about what's unique about your program. And, and I want you to get, uh, I'd love for you to share with us um, the three foundational beliefs your program has, because I think I think it's really interesting because, you know, we hear the cliche about three legs of a stool, but this is, you know, when I, when I was talking to Jeremy earlier and looking at his, uh, um, investigating his program a little bit, really really believed in it and it's very well articulated and it makes so much sense and uh would love for you to share a little bit about that please 
Yeah, well, I think too, it may be worth saying, what's interesting is when we opened in 2008, it was the same three pillars. Um, we've definitely refined that process a bit more and what that looks like for a student experience. But at the time, most people were against this in the industry. So this seemed like a really pioneering idea that we kind of had to fight for the first couple of years for people to get their heads around and believe. And now as I, you know, once I walk through these, you'll go, oh, like a lot of these things are happening in other programs some 14 years later, which is, I think, just kind of an interesting point of vision. Um, so I think the place to start probably is that we very much believe in family programming. Um, you know, the, the model used to be this identified patient of the kid would come in and the kid was the one who needed all the support and the family could just send them and hopefully get something, uh, a better version, so to speak, as much as I hate to say it that way back. And that's, um, we believed early on, and this keeps evolving for us, that this is there's a family system at play. And if we take the kid out of that environment, there's a lot of great work we can do as a program with that student. But if we're not supporting and teaching and growing the family system, um, when that student comes home, everything's gonna eventually go back to what it was. And so we have a lot of family touch points. We talk a lot about parents and guardians being in a parallel process. And so with us, they're getting their own family therapist, which is separate from the kid's therapist. They're getting uh, weekly parent support calls where they're on a conference call learning something with other parents that have kids in the program so they get this peer group so many of our parents feel just isolated um, with what's going on with their kid and so it helps them find a sense of community um, we do parent workshops we have um, a mindfulness and yoga classes that parents can zoom into each week and take part in so really our goal is that we're equipping and giving the parents skills beyond just a treatment report on how their kid is doing, but we're trying to help them learn a lot of the same language so that when the parent and the student come back together, uh, they're speaking a similar language. And, and what we often hear anecdotally afterwards is that things are not perfect, but they collectively feel much more equipped to communicate and navigate things um, when they get challenging after the fact. Very important. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the family piece is huge for us. The, the other part that's different about our program is we believe in what's kind of a transitional model, which means that our kids spend about half of their time in the wilderness and half of their time at one of our base camps. Um, and that, if you think about it in kind of a four-week rotation, they'll spend two weeks on expedition, two weeks base camps, and they rotate through that. So with our average length of stay is, is roughly 85 days a kid will go through that rotation basically two or three times. And the reason that we do that is we believe in a lot of the foundational pieces of wilderness that you might see in, in nomadic models or things like that, that if you're out in the wilderness for three days, it's a short enough period of time that you could fake it. Uh, the thing that I'll often say is you could be kind of lazy with rain gear and you could not poop and um, you can pull that off for three days because on the fourth day you're going to go home and have a toilet and get dry and everything's fine and so you don't really have to engage with that experience because you can kind of fake it for a short period of time um, if you're in the wilderness for two weeks you got to figure out how to engage and start to understand what's going on and learn some skills and and that's the part that i think was important to us that we wanted it to be a long enough length of stay out there that um, kids had to engage, they began to learn and gain all the things that I think we believe that wilderness brings with self-efficacy and competency and um, the process of learning a new skill and being frustrated and how to cope and work through that. But we also found that um, for most of our kids, wilderness is Mars until they hit seven 
day seven to 10, and they figure it out and it's not as foreign. Um, and so that impact becomes less. And so what we wanted to do is have them out there long enough to kind of hit that sweet spot and gain those pieces. And then we wanted to shift environments uh, because a lot of our kids struggle with that transition and that change. And by shifting them back into a base camp, it's something that more closely resembles life after wilderness. And we believe that's important because if you have a kid in the wilderness for 85 days straight and then you go and plug them into a boarding school or put them back home, there's this kind of inevitable um, shock and adaptation because they've been living in a tent, eating over fire, whatever the case may be for the past almost three months. Mm -hmm. And now they're back in a bed stepping into a classroom. Uh, so we really wanted to get the balance of the benefit of being in wilderness and a chance for those kids to practice those new skills and something that more closely resembles life after wilderness. It helps them practice changing environments. So wilderness is often viewed as kind of a reset button mm -hmm. where kids are take that taken out of what's causing their challenges and stresses um, and enables them in the wilderness to kind of ground themselves and, and learn some therapies and do some other things. But you're saying, and most programs are really focused on that and then transition to residential treatment or some kids mm -hmm. come home or go to somewhere else. But you're saying there's a balance to be achieved um, and that you try and focus so that you're eliminating those stressors to help reset, but providing them both in uh, both a wilderness and, and uh, on-campus environment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those the skills that they're learning in wilderness, that reset, that um, I think sometimes that calm and that peace and those things that we talk about are hugely important, but they have to know how to use that in something that's the real world. And, you know, wilderness is not the real world for our kids long term. They're going to go home or they're going to go to a boarding school or whatever the case may be. So we we really believed in giving them that chance to practice that and that that helps. And anecdotally, I think we find that to be very true. When our kids go to a boarding school, um, the thing that we hear often is like their ability to transition into that setting and find success is typically faster than a kid who may have just been in the woods for 90 days straight. Great. And the third element? The third piece for us is academics. Um, and, and we do that and we literally put kids back into the box, so to speak. So we have what I call a little kind of Laura Ingalls Wilder one room classroom that has a whiteboard and a desk and chairs and a teacher. Um, the curriculum is not necessarily that academically rigorous, but we have seen year after year, and this keeps growing, more and more kids are refusing to go into school or having a really hard time being successful at school. And so we, we have an accredited curriculum. I think that feels really good to students and to parents, honestly, because it's their job at some level at that age is to be in school. And so that people can resonate and get their head around that. And honestly, what we find is there's such a therapeutic benefit of putting them back into a classroom for a period of time while they're with us and helping them re-engage with learning at some level. And that doesn't mean that they're in there doing trigonometry, but a lot of kids will read their first chapter book with us. Or um, we had a kid a few years ago who was dyslexic and we found a font on a computer that allowed him to read things without getting frustrated and it was this huge like simple tool but by Great putting him in the classroom yeah it's a huge thing for him so um our kids do that when they're at our main base camp which is one week out of the month um and then they have some other academic stuff they're doing on trail but we really wanted to again put them back into a classroom setting and help them use their skills in that environment 
So that's kind of uh, cool and very unique. I see that you're accredited by Cognia, mm -hmm. um, which is not many to, not many of any wilderness programs have that kind of accreditation. So it, it, it is this isn't for the kids to get academic credit. It's for them to engage in academic learning while they're away. So it's more comfortable. Correct. Well, it's both actually. So our kids, our high schoolers walk away with three credits and our uh, middle school kids walk away with two and a half credits if they stay at a minimum for 50 days and do Look at that. Okay. So I, again, I think that's the piece that everybody likes to feel good about and that's great. And the, and what we see is the therapeutic benefit of doing academics in a more traditional way typically helps them be more successful after the program. Okay. Thanks for sharing those three legs of the stool, that, uh, the three foundational beliefs of your program, the, 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 the parenting part, the wilderness part, and the academic part. Yeah. Great. Um, now, if we can transition, a familiar theme here, um, to um, this five-year outcome study that you guys invested in, because um, I think people who have, by and large, who have, who have um, given the gift of wilderness therapy see its benefits um, and there's been some noise in the system that lacks context. Uh, and um, I know NATSAP has invested in a study and is doing its own, its own golden thread to be able to see yeah. the improvement um, in children and their families having gone through therapeutic uh, treatment. But tell us about the study that you guys invested in and what you guys have found as a result of this, uh, of this study. Yeah, so we I think we've been about five years into this. We thought, we thought when we started this would be a two-year process, and really it just kept going and going. Um, and we hired and funded out of our own pockets a third party to come in and run it. So we're we're not trying to influence the results in any way and make sure that that is all credible on that side of it by having someone else run the study. Um, but we've been doing it for about five years and and just trying to make sure that what we're doing is effective and has efficacy and are there things that we can learn and do different by what the outcome of that is. And, you know, I would say just as a, an aside, a big shout out to Mike Gass and that whole crew. Those guys have been doing this for years and years and years and trying to make sure that people understand the legitimacy that is wilderness therapy, that we're all um, we know through our experience, having done this for so long and, and trying to make sure that we find appropriate ways to prove that in kind of a quote unquote scientific type community. Um, you know, I, you can go on our website and there's a section I think that says success in the menu and that will bring up a whole page that has a lot of results from the study. Some of the things that have really stood out to us over the years and one of them that I, I like to talk about is um, if the student, what we have found the, some of the key factors of success post-program, and we do follow-ups up to a year after they've left, is if the student even perceives that the parents or the guardians are doing therapeutic work parallel to them while they're in the program, it significantly impacts the long-term results of things improving at home. Be that anxiety, depression, substance abuse, all those things um, are heavily impacted by the, the student that's in the program, knowing that the home team basically is also doing its own work and trying to make changes. And I just think, um, you know, you can hop on our webpage and you can see all these massive declines in anxiety 
and depression and substance abuse and more effective management of ADHD and more success in the classroom and all that stuff is in there. And I just keep coming back to one of the most critical and exciting things to me is that if, you know, mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or whoever it is that is that home support team is doing the work and the kid kind of knows and sees and feels that it just makes such a significant impact on long-term effectiveness of treatment. Okay. Well, um, you know, some of these things on the webpage are, are mind-boggling numbers. And like you said, it was an objective thing. So 86% of students showed improvement in anxiety systems, symptoms, 12 months after graduation. 93% of students showed an improvement in depression systems 12 months after. 98% um, of students reported experiencing a decrease in suicidal thoughts. 96% reported experiencing a decrease in substance use and 97% reported a decrease in symptoms associated with ADHD. I mean, these are, you know, this is not half, these are in the nineties, right? And, yeah. and, and, and you had a, a large enough data set and you employed this um, company called CREATE, the Center for Research Assessment and Treatment Efficacy which is a third party that that's what these guys do mm -hmm. and they're experts at it. And uh, I'm actually so interested in this. Yeah. I've, I've reached out to Sally Lewis and I'm going to be talking to her and interviewing her in a subsequent uh, podcast episode. So kudos to you for investing in that and demonstrating with hard facts, <laughs> this stuff works, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, we'll try not to get too far down the, the deer trail on it, but I think it's stuff like this, and this is happening. Um, I don't know that there are that many that are this comprehensive. There are a lot of studies out there trying to continually prove the efficacy of wilderness. Um, and the insurance debate keeps coming up. And I think that's what, that's part of what gets us there is the ability to have legitimate research that can prove wilderness is an effective form of treatment to then mm -hmm. open up insurance options for families. Yeah. And I have some insurance related uh, podcasts for people to tune into about um, the challenge with insurance and why they cover things or not, how to, how to pay for it, how to represent yourself and make sure to have the right documentation in place. But at the end of the day, I think insurance companies are there not to have to pay out as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> if you break your thumb, <laughs> you know, most hospitals know what to do to fix your thumb and so the cost of it and the management of it is pretty discreet yeah. whereas when you talk about different kinds of therapy it's not as discreet and that's why it's one of the things that they try to leverage to get around it that um, but thank goodness there's a lot of um, a lot of emphasis going into this and and uh, and some monies um, actually this past week Steve Ballmer um, co-founder of Microsoft invested in Oregon at the University of Oregon of $425 million into, into resources um, primarily to be used in Oregon, which it was more than just Oregon. But, but, yeah. the, but the idea that someone of that caliber and that level is, is, is understanding the seriousness of it. Um, and I'm sure the efforts there tied in with the University of Oregon will spread beyond the borders of that state. So things yeah. like that are wonderful to hear for sure. Well, I think too, is, I mean, especially as you're well aware and have spoken about, I think the past 18 months for therapeutic programs in wilderness and other things have um, 
there's an interesting narrative floating around out there and a lot of it doesn't have the context necessarily or some of it's from dated reference of the 90s and things how it used to be and um and the hope i think at some level even with insurance but also just with wilderness and these what are still kind of considered non-traditional treatment formats having this research helps people understand a little bit more about what legitimacy is behind it um, and what care is going into yeah. trying to support and help people and the noiser is from kids who you know are now adults who didn't like feeling uncomfortable at the time <laughs> yeah you no know, and that yeah. was you know that's part of growth is feeling uncomfortable and they yep. you know got put in those situations because they were not in a good place you know and you don't hear parents of these children speaking out it's the kids mm -hmm. Um, so having that context, having that proof, um, and having ongoing success stories and continuing to raise the bar and things like NATSAP are also important. Yeah. Tell us about your, uh, admissions process, please. Yeah. So you can, you can reach us by going to our website, which is trailscarolina.com. There's a phone number on there. Um, you can also email our team at admissions at trailscarolina.com. But the, basically what it starts with is a conversation. You know, what I often say to families is, um, if your kid is not a good fit for what we do well and fits in our wheelhouse, then nobody wins because then your kid doesn't get support. You get frustrated and we look stupid and nobody's winning at the end of that. So, um, if trails is a place that you think might be a fit for your student, it's picking up the phone and talking to our admissions team. And they're essentially going to kind of go through a needs assessment about what's going on at home. What behaviors are you seeing? What are you hoping for your kid? Um, what do you you know need or hope to need or think you need out of this experience and understanding, is it a good fit or is it not a good fit? And I think my hope is that that framework kind of disarms people where it's not it's not a sales pitch. It's really about what is it you need, what's going on, and is what we do really well. Do we feel like we can meet that need and help you and your student be successful? But it's, uh, yeah, it kind of starts with that. You end up doing an application if that first phone call feels like, yeah, this is the direction we want to go. We do a clinical review of that application again to make sure that we feel like it's a good fit. Um, and then from there, it gets a little more nuts and bolts about picking a day and which therapist is going to be the best fit and those types of things. Great. Um, so um, assuming people fit the criteria and you do admit them, um, I don't care what program you're on, you, 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 end, you end up giving the gift to your child. It's not cheap because the no. services are, you know, you're on campus, you're feeding them, you're providing yeah. them this this therapeutic treatment and and uh, housing and um it's intense with a lot of you know a lot of staff so um so th there's uh you know one of the one of the um nonprofit groups that i'm that i've been very active with is called the sky's the limit fund they provide grants to families in need for wilderness mm -hmm. therapy and they've got a select program, maybe a dozen programs that they work with to provide families in need grants. Yeah. And, and you're one of them. And so how long has that been the case and what's your relationship with the Sky's the Limit Fund and how has that benefited families? Yeah, that's, um, I'm glad you bring that up. That's been a newer actual partnership. We've, we've had families for years say, hey, we wanna give back and put money in the pot for somebody else who needs this, who needs some help. And we have not personally had a nonprofit leg and we've um, for years sent people to sky's the limit before we kind of had a formalized partnership because they 
they run a pretty tight ship. So to get to get on their roster of partner programs, I think they only accept a couple a year. There's an extensive application process to that. And so we, you know, we've just kind of finalized that at the beginning of this year. So we're excited to do that. I think there's um the way that's set up is families often will call us. And if they say we think this is going to be hard to pull off, we may point them to sky's the limit and they look and do kind of a review and figure out how much they think they can help a family. Um, we in turn match typically up to a point how much sky's the limit's kind of putting in to help that family get support. Um, so it's a great way to help close that financial gap, at least a little bit for a lot of families who this just feels like too much of a stretch, but they know they need some help. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's a, it's a fabulous organization. Um, you can look them up on the web if you want to donate or find out more about them if you're investigating uh, uh, Trails Carolina and uh, can't say enough about um, them and their mission and their people yeah. and, and how much they can help. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, most parents just want their kids to be find their own happiness and their own independence. Mm -hmm. You can't put a price on that. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, as we're wrapping up, um, can you please just uh, share with us? Um, I guess you've talked about the website, just repeat it again for people and where, 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 where it's best to, to reach out to you or, or, to, or someone specific on your team if they're looking for more information about Trails Carolina. Yeah, so our website again is trails with an S carolina.com. Um, there's a phone number, I think, on the upper right hand corner of that screen, and you can call and talk to one of our admissions folks. Uh, you can also email admissions at trailscarolina.com and those folks will be happy to either pick up the phone immediately or get back to you really quickly and again kind of begin that process of going is this what's going on for you and is this a good fit and a family we think is someone that we can help awesome well this is a great discussion it was great to learn a little bit more about you and about your program um i talked to a lot of um um directors and admissions people in programs in person and and certainly through this podcast or on the phone and uh, your program definitely has some unique attributes that stand out and and I know you're helping the community quite a bit so thank you for being uh, on our show today yeah thanks so much for having me Andy I appreciate your time great it's great to have you on the show and learn about you and your great program and parents please remember Take care of your children and empower yourself with information at Parents Journey.